Find all your favorite movies and shows faster with Xfinity. Just speak into the X1 voice remote to search across live TV, on demand, even Netflix and Prime Video. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Switch to Xfinity today and get a great offer. You'll enjoy Xfinity X1, which gives you access to your favorite streaming apps like Netflix, YouTube, and now Prime Video. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit the store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Coming to you on the Headstuff Podcast Network. I'm Emily Glenn. And I'm Elaine Buckley. If you're joining us for the first time, then you picked a good one over the next hour or so. We're going to be looking back over the year that was for Irish Sportswomen 2017, and there is a lot to talk about. But before we do that, just a quick reminder of where you can find us. Check it out at headstuff.org for a full archive to date, and Fair Game is also available to subscribe on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, and Spotify to get future episodes direct to your device. If you like what you've heard so far and could take the time to rate and review us too, that would be a really nice Christmas present. It helps hugely in spreading the good word about the podcast as does sharing episodes on Twitter, Facebook and WhatsApp so please pass it on if you like what you hear. And finally follow us on Twitter too at Fair Gamecast where we provide round the clock news, views and opinions on everything going on in the world of women's sports. So we've been running Fair Game for over two years now and keenly following all aspects of women's sports for a lot longer. Undeniably these past 12 months have been among the busiest we've ever seen in terms of women featuring in the national sporting conversation. That said it hasn't been for all the right reasons. 2017 has been a year of exhilarating highs for many athletes and teams but we also had some huge stories serving as a stern reminder that although we're definitely going in the right direction there's still a lot more to be done in terms of gender parity for Irish sportswomen. To talk through the highs and lows the ups and downs and everything else in between we are joined by one of the top sports journalists in the business a McNamee award-winning writer covering all fields with the independent in print and on screen and online with RT Sport and she's also the Republic of Ireland soccer correspondent for UEFA. She's also fairly handy with the football and she can almost definitely lift more than you can in a CrossFit gym. Few people have taken more sporting action on board this year than Mari Crow. Thanks for joining us for a review of the year in the Fair Game Hot Seat. Thanks very much and congratulations over two years. That's very impressive. I know, time flies when you're having fun. The way we're going to do this is we're going to go through the, the year month by month and pick one standout highlight for the month and just kind of talk through from there. So kicking us off in January, it just doesn't seem like it was almost a year ago, but we're going to focus on hockey for the month of January. And the Irish women's team won the FIH Hockey World League 2 in Malaysia, which was the first major step towards World Cup qualification, which they eventually secured in October. They blitzed through this tournament, a record of six games, six wins, 39 goals for, one against, best goalkeeper, best player and top goal scorer. So safe to say it was a good haul and you probably wouldn't have read about it anywhere because they don't get a lot of coverage, just a simple fact. But they then got on to the next phase for the World Cup. They got seventh place in the qualifiers when then faced an agonising wait until October when they found out that they are going to London. This is the first time that an Irish women's hockey team have qualified for a World Cup since 2002. A remarkable achievement for them. Very exciting. I've got the tickets booked to London next year already for the World Cup. Can't wait for it. (laughs) I have to say that the reason that I know anything about hockey though is because of you because you're always pushing it and tweeting it and because it doesn't get out there it's one of those sports that it just isn't on my radar that much and I don't know why I'm listening to that I actually feel really bad that I haven't done more on it or that I haven't taken that's what you want don't let her don't let her guilt <laughs> you've guilted me into it yeah I did read about it before I came in and it was actually difficult to find much on it and then what I did read about it was mostly about the hardship that they're going through just how difficult it is and how that they have to dig into their own pockets to pay for pretty much everything okay they have a coach but we all know anyone that's competing and playing at that level takes an awful lot of preparation, commitment, sacrifices 
and it takes money because you know you have to look after your diet you have to do extra training you have to have an SNC program they just don't seem to be looked after yeah and it's it's kind of a classic case of, of women's sports that until you qualify for a major tournament that's just the way it is and it's like well we need these things in order to qualify and the thing with, with the women's hockey team is they have been to hell and back as a squad they missed out on qualification for the Rio Olympics in the cruelest of fashions it went to sudden death in a shootout they were punching above their weight in that tournament to even get themselves in the position you know where they were literally a strike of a ball away from Rio and unfortunately they missed out and you know some it, it was time for retirement for some of the key players but a core group kind of stayed on and drove on and that's why the day that they eventually secured their qualification it was in quite a bizarre manner they were reliant on the outcome of a match between New Zealand and Papua New Guinea in the Oceania Cup <laughs> you know nine in the morning being played in, in New Zealand and um, just the moment they qualified I actually was just so emotional about it because we've had a good few of the girls on the podcast they've spoken to us about the disappointment from Rio and how much it would mean to them to qualify for a major tournament and now they're there they're going to London next July and I just hope that they get huge support while, while it's ongoing I love a bandwagon though and I remember in January all of the photos all over Instagram of the amazing times they were having and the experience of it all and how gorgeous it was as I was freezing myself. And I think when it comes to teams promoting themselves and promoting their sports and the experiences that they go through, there's really, for me anyway, in in 2017, there's been an awful lot of that. For February, we're going to look at the Women's Six Nations and one of the standout moments, and I think we'll probably talk about it now and, and again maybe a little bit later on as well, is the conflict, I suppose, between the 7th and the 15th really kicked off. So the Women's Six Nations, it was in February, it was kind of opening a year, so it was a really big opening. And then coming up to our game against France, there was a little bit of conflict with three of the players. Um, and it wasn't being announced whether or not they'd be on the 15s or the 7th squad until kind of last minute. But it really kind of hinted at trouble in Tierney's camp. What strikes me now listening to you talking about that is at the time I thought, well, things can't get much worse than this. Things can't mm. get much more bizarre than this. And that was actually just the tip of the iceberg. Like in hindsight, just looking back on it all, that was the start of the unravelling will say for the people on the outside looking in that was the first kind of really big moment where it went out to the public sphere where you had people commenting on it where you had the RFU having to comment on it but that incident is one that really sticks with me because of the way it was handled by the IRFU their whole attitude to it and, and again it was their, their attitude to the 15s the whole way through from then on they were just so dismissive um, David Nusifora was on um, against the head with Lynn Cantwell and it was addressed and what he said it actually really annoyed me the fact that he used the word emotional when referring mm. to the Irish women's players and he also said you know the IRFU can decide on whatever they want to do with selection and performance for the men's teams too and that Joe Schmidt doesn't always get his way which I find that really hard to believe and I just think that it would never happen in the men's team mm -hmm. and you would never call the men's players emotional. That's an interesting thing because even in chatting to say friends of mine who were maybe hearing about you know this this story for the first time and I don't like comparing men's sport with women's sports but say when I was explaining to my dad the significance of these players going it was like well it's like taking away Simon Zebo, Robbie Henshaw and Rob Carney and just taking them out of the squad wouldn't in the middle happen. of the Six Nations it just wouldn't happen and then when you give that example to people they're like oh right okay like literally three really strong members of, of the starting 15 the, the Ireland women they actually seemed quite hurt by it Lynn said on the show that night that the way it was communicated to them that lack of communication which ultimately was a lack of respect because you know if you do have respect for your players you're going to be honest with them and you're going to give them the at least the basic bit of information so that they know 
what kind of a setup they're going to have going forward and they didn't have that. Looking back on this event um, and the Six Nations in general, my impression of it in hindsight that it was really a case of like discovering that the Emperor had no clothes on. You know, because we were coming into the Six Nations, it was a World Cup year, so full of hope. The 15s team were finally getting um, some more resources. There was talk of like legacy from the World Cup. You know, there were sevens players who were also playing for the 15s. This is going to be great for us. Now we can maybe take on France and England. And it just all kind of fell apart. And then looking at the language that the IRFU used and it's like you actually the the lack of respect that was communicated there was just huge I remember there was a piece that really struck with me again where you know it was the women are getting upset I was just like you know my granny used to tell me I was getting upset I don't be getting upset like that's not how you can that's not how you speak to feel like to, to, to anybody athletes. yeah it was all just words like it was lip service it was you know focusing on the fact that this Rugby World Cup was really important but it wasn't important to them for the women's game it was important to them for the Rugby World Cup bid and it wasn't about building a legacy for the women it was about building a legacy that would look good for the Rugby World Cup bid and I don't think you can get away from that But what was interesting though is that you know for all the talk that David Nussfor and Anthony Eddy had about building strength and depth the results actually worked in in their favour Now, it's actually very hard to separate yourself now that the World Cup has happened and look back on the Six Nations. But, you know, we had a tough start against Scotland, only for Jenny Murphy smashing over the line. Literally, as the clock went red, did we come away from that with a win? We got the bonus point about against Italy, which was hugely important. And then we beat France at home. And that was the game that Miller Neopu and Tyrrell were gone for. And they were in our group for the pool for the World Cup. So, you know, as far as governing body are concerned it's like what's everyone get given out about we mm-hmm. got the result but you kind of feel you kind of feel that the squad that went out that day just really had a point to prove they possibly felt that their six nations was being sabotaged and they just really wanted to go out and and get that result they had another wobble against wales they were that was kind of hit and miss and then of course the big grand slam decider um on paddy's day in donnybrook against england it, it was a real mixed bag of a campaign but it was for me, completely overshadowed by that mm-hmm. conflict of interest. That decider against England, no, all the talk heading up to that game was how the English team were now going to be focusing on the World Cup. They were going to you know, be giving up their jobs and it was going to be all that was in their head for the next, whatever, four or five months. And instead of looking at that and using it as, you know, a template to push on, the IRFU didn't, you know. I remember talking to some of the girls around the time of the game and they didn't know when they were meeting again after the Six Nations. Like, there was no plan. Like, Mm. you saw what England had, you saw what France did after it, but Ireland didn't seem to have a plan. That result against England, like, losing like that, they nearly didn't mind it so much because they thought that maybe an alarm bell might ring and say, well, you know, we need to up our game a little bit. But it just obviously, as we saw, it didn't happen. I think there was the feeling at that time that this could be a warning shot. Yeah, we've had a few wobbles. Let's kind of get it together. I just didn't understand why they couldn't let the girls go semi-professional for three or four months. That they put everything into. Like we had a home World Cup with such a big opportunity. And I know we're not onto the World Cup yet, but all they had to do was perform in three games for there to be a legacy. They didn't have to go out and win the Rugby World Cup. They didn't mm. have to hammer whoever they were playing. All they had to do was perform well and there would have been a legacy but there's none now. And when we're talking about legacy, that might bring us on, I suppose, the, the highlight of March, um, which is the Liberty Insurance launching a game of two halves. And one of the key pieces of information that they launched, 43% of people said that they were already interested in the Women's Rugby World Cup. But there was a ton of other information came out of that. Liberty Insurance in 2015 released a landmark study called Wise Up, which was looking at women's sports in Ireland. Loads of really interesting facts and figures that we literally just didn't have before. And then as a follow up to it this year, 
on International Women's Day, they launched what they call a game of two halves, which is looking on, you know, the progress that's been made since that original study and also the gaps that still remain. And I suppose we'll just run run through some of the progress here. One in two people are more aware of women's sport in Ireland versus 12 months ago. 67% of women describe themselves as active versus 55% in 2015. 94% of women who play team sports agree it plays a big role in their lives. 68% of people would like to see more women in coaching roles across women's sport in Ireland. Over 25% of people attend a Camogie Ladies Gaelic Football Championship match in the last year and the top three most admired female sports personalities are all Olympians Katie Taylor Sadia O'Sullivan and Annalise Murphy it's great to see those kind of numbers going up but then when you look at the gaps I suppose what one what one would stand out to you from, from the list of gaps there 74% of women aged 17 to 24 have little or no interest in sport I just find it hard to believe. I think there's a disconnect between women who are active Mm -hmm. and seeing that activity in the context of their sport. So I know so many people who run, for example, and yet haven't, like, haven't a rashers who Mm -hmm. Kira McGeehan is. Oh yeah, Sonia Grant, but like wouldn't follow athletics. So don't necessarily see running as part of athletics and I I know it's kind of a it's something that happens in hockey teams as well right you know the social aspect of it and the actual hockey team is one thing but then getting people to follow along so participation absolutely is is massive but there's a huge disconnect with women not supporting their own sport I don't understand why people who play a sport don't want to see it played Mm -hmm. at elite level it's just a disconnect that I'd really love to be able to to help bridge that was one that really stood out to me that three and four people have not attended a major female sporting event in the last year that's to me that is horrifying Mm -hmm. because some of the highlights of my year not just in sport have been you know certain sporting events that just absolutely blew me away they're not just games they're events and lots of people like going to events as well like a a rugby world cup or like an all-ireland you know or a camogie final and we've had some really good soccer games as well and like it's just Again, hard to believe that so few people go. But then you look at the Blue Stars documentary and you see Ireland final aside that there was nobody at their games, you know? Mm. Yeah, that is the, like the figure for the football Ireland final. Like it was, It's obviously amazing. It's an amazing mm. figure. But I have a real problem with the fact that that's a standalone event and that the support doesn't filter down even a quarter of that number at, at semi-finals. See, the thing about that and, and, and likewise with the Women's Rugby World Cup, it's really good logistics. Mm. You know, you have really good logistics. You have people that organise and it's brilliant for anyone that wants to organise a really big sports event to look at what the ladies football do and how they get all their clubs involved. Like they're running out to thousands of screaming girls and it's brilliant. But these girls are being bussed to the games or being brought by their mentors. It's not their parents bringing them. You know, it's like a big club thing. But if they had something like more of a connection and it was their parents mm. bring them, they'd bring them more because a lot of these things are habit. And, you know, once you start going to see women's sport and you start going to, you know, if you started following the dubs at the start of the season, like you're going to keep going and, and keep going and keep going. So in a way, you're kind of celebrating like really good logistics. And like that yeah. was a bit of my thing after the Women's Rugby World Cup. Everyone was saying how great it was. The logistics were great, brilliant, but... Like, that's probably it. I was thinking back to um, actually when we started the podcast and our first episode was on kind of the state of play of women's sport in Ireland. And we talked a lot about um, this kind of terrible trifecta that was just self-reinforcing. And it was a lack of media coverage, a lack of bums on seats and a lack of sponsorship. And in 2017, that has kind of shifted for me because what we're talking about here is a piece of landmark research done by a sponsor that puts their money where their mouth is. Um, and actually... 
we've got a couple of sponsors in women's sports who've taken on women's women's teams and female athletes and they're not messing around like they really do some serious work and when it comes to the bums on seats I think what we really left out of that was the role of governing bodies in not even engaging in communications campaigns or you know promotional campaigns but even just updating their websites and just to to follow up on that like 35% of women aged 25 to 34 not involved in team sports believe they're too old to participate and 24% of women who don't exercise would like to do more sports but don't know how to get involved. So that reflects mm. again on the governing bodies and these people obviously feel that they have to go and seek out the sport and they probably feel that you know they're alone or they feel a bit isolated. Mm. Whereas if the governing bodies were more active, it seems there are a certain amount of people there that do want to get involved, but they just don't know how. The other part that we kind of talked about was the role of media. And in here, one of the final pieces of the gaps is that 55% of Irish people agree that there's not enough coverage of female sports on television in Ireland. While that's obviously a product of their research, I think the role of media this year has also shifted a little bit. And I think we see how RTE pushed the IRFU uh, for better coverage and um, prominence of podcasts, not just our but others who are looking at female athletes and female sports teams. Um, the Sunday Independent on the All-Ireland Finals with their wraparounds, like yeah. it was like little supplements on, you know, big Sundays when there was other things on as well. It's become the norm. That also does link back to the governing body things. The ones that are really good at promoting their sport tend to get the most coverage and to go back to the hockey. You know, I had the news of that World Cup qualification up on our podcast account and on my club hockey account within five minutes of it happening. I had pictures prepared, I had copy prepared because I knew the match was that day at that time. It took the Irish Hockey Association five hours to get a press release out. So you as a journalist saying that, you know, you didn't hear about it. No wonder. You have to give people the information. And there's no excuse now because everything is instant. They have platforms, they have the different social medias that it's easy to get this information out. The Camogie is the same and the ladies football. I don't understand why they embargo their copy until 12 o'clock at night. They've missed all the newspaper deadlines. You've had a year where the Sunday Independent, the biggest selling newspaper in the country, had done wraparounds on both finals. There's clearly an interest there if they had sent their all-star winners out at nine o'clock the all-star winners I'm sure would have been on the front of the sports sections that's a very fair point but I mean there was at least six entertainment acts to be had at that all-star <laughs> bash that you just couldn't be interrupted do you know what I mean there were some hankies to be waved in the air and there would be no telling them <laughs> but it was easy to it was an, it's an easy fix you know yeah. just Send it out a little bit earlier. If you're worried about it leaking, send it specifically to three or four trusted editors. You know, you can't blame the newspapers when you don't send it in before the deadline. So send it out and you'll get the hint the next day. For April, it's no surprise that our standout event is the Irish soccer team's strike action against the FAI. Marie, you were at the forefront of breaking this story, so we'll let you take it from there. (laughs) Well, it started when the PFAI sent out an email. They don't send out too many emails so when they sent it out and it was in reference to the women's football team, straight away I thought, right, there's something big going to happen here because they teed up a press conference the next day. That was on the Monday. Like I knew, as I'm sure most people did, that things weren't rosy anyway, but I didn't realise that they had decided to take things as far as they did. The Irish women's football team had several issues um, but most of them boiled down to just been treated with respect. They had brought their issues to the FAI on several occasions. Um, They couldn't sort it out and they felt that they needed to stand up and 
tell the world what was going on within women's football in Ireland and let people know that you know they weren't being treated properly and they did that in Liberty Hall in the most amazing way they had three or four representatives at the front but all the girls stood up together and they addressed the media and it was of course when there's controversy media love it they just said it as it was and they handed out leaflets with the issues that they had they were just they seemed so strong and, and so united and well, it was a very striking image like you know obviously some of the girls had club, club commitments over mm-hmm. in England and couldn't be there but what you had was you know 14 international soccer players with 500 plus caps between them sitting in Liberty Hall and like I'll read a quote from Emma Byrne here we're here because we want to feel the best national team possible and be able to compete at the highest level like that shouldn't have to be explained <laughs> talking through some of the instances like the one mm. that was really picked up that people really ran with was, was the tracksuits thing yeah. and changing it changing in the toilets and how humiliating this was but like it was picked up it was the lead story on RT News mm. it was top billing on both second captains and off the ball that day it was trending on Twitter. There was countless articles about it. I think pe- everybody couldn't believe it except for the people that are involved in women's sport. Mm. You know, because it's such a familiar story. Because of them, I don't think it would ever get so bad that girls will have to share a tracksuit again. But, you know, we're still going to hear stories that, you know, girls are women's sports, women teams are being pushed in a direction that they aren't being shown the respect mm. that they need. But, like, on the back of that then, I was out covering another story, a boxing story, and... Uh, one of the coaches involved in the women's team said to me, because of what happened with the girls' soccer team, the box, the Irish female boxing team used to have to share tracksuits and now they have their own kit. So mm. there's a huge knock-on effect. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point as well, the, the knock-on effect, because what, I mean, that image is like, uh, you can recall that image. You yeah. you don't have to Google it, you know it. Um, because it was so striking. And what really came across there was the strength of unity of the team. There was no weakness. There was no weakness. Yeah. And you could tell that not one of those girls were going back to training. They were all in or they were all out. That was it. And I think that's really left a mark on other governing bodies, but also on other teams because they know the impact of that yeah. they can have. People can't get away with it anymore. And I think because they highlighted something that was actually quite common, but shocked people outside of female sport, they won't risk it either. Like the FAI mm. got so much bad press because of that. I don't think there was anybody who was on the FAI side. You know, everybody knows like a female that's trying their hardest to compete at that level and achieve because that's all they were trying to do is to become a successful team, to qualify for a major tournament, to represent their country in the best way that they possibly could and be prepared in the best way that they possibly could. And all they wanted was support. Quite telling as well the amount of high profile uh, sportswomen who wrote in behind them who kind of either spoke to media or put up a tweet in support or whatever. You know, people who might not necessarily be able to speak out about their own governing bodies or whatever because it's it's not the right time or they have it's it, it can be a very political thing like but it was it was quite telling to see I, th- it's, I, th- I think a lot of other people felt galvanised by what across other sports by what the women's soccer team did. I'm very proud of them as well because it wasn't easy and like that's the one thing I take away from it like looking back they did something amazing and like everybody in Ireland should be so proud of them. They've made a difference for all of the girls coming up. Really remarkable. Well there is a a lot to be said for new media in terms of helping coverage of women's sports but there's also a lot to be said for traditional TV coverage as well and on a sunny Sunday morning in May of this year we were able to switch on the television and see Skibbereen's Denise Walsh win silver at the European Rowing Championship. That was uh, that was a pretty special moment in May now I have to say. It was um, You know we weren't kind of tuning in especially expecting her to see you know we were tuning in for the the comedic um, entertainment from the lads that the you get boys. as well yeah. like yeah um, uh, so it was brilliant just to see her step up as well because she says she's 
part of that gang, you know. So like when they're all performing and winning medals, isn't it lovely that, you know, you're doing it with your friends and you're 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 doing it with your gang. Um but, you know, we talk about characters in sport and we talk about how people like the rowers were able to bring the sport to a nation, which they did. And because of Denise now, we don't have just the group mm-hmm. of lads, you know, we have a female in there mm-hmm. who's also achieving and she's on that bandwagon, whatever you want to call it. But like she's there driving it too and she's driving the sport. As well as that, you know, people are saying that it's the new boxing, that, you know, it's been shown on television because of these characters, because of these people that are, are driving it and making people interested. Not only that, but they're performing as well. They're backing it up with performances. And I was reading an article about Denise and they said that when they had the homecoming for the lads down in Skibbereen, she was wearing uh, the Steak and Spuds T-shirts or, you know, she was just part of like the welcoming committee to Skibbereen. And she was handing out the pizzas and talking to, you know, just she was just someone that was helping out. And she's moved on from that now, you know. So next time when there's going to be a welcome home party, it'll be for her as well because she has backed up all the work she has done with performances and taken her place there. And it was a phenomenal performance in in the final. Like it was, she looked like she was out of it with 500 metres to go and then it was almost like a kick reminiscent of the famous Sonia kick. Like, you know, it was just like she just took off. She could have had the gold. She just ran out of water. Another 10 (laughs) metres and she could have pipped that sweet to the gold. You know, I say that after every every Roan race that I watch. They could have had the gold. They were so close. (laughs) But she, to to medal it all, because it really did look, it was such such a fiercely competitive race and and it looked like she was out, out of the medal positions completely and then, just that kick at the end to to get her into the silver position it was it was phenomenal well it's it's also very important to you know irish people we all have this incredible fixation on the olympic games yeah. but to realize that there's actually major championships that that, that go on in the four year period between the olympic games and denise walsh is definitely one to watch she's she's going to be aiming to qualify for tokyo back in in the double boat um but another woman to watch speaking of tokyo it's it's a while away yet is mona mcsharry I think she has just had such a phenomenal year. Um, in June, she won gold in the European Junior 50 metre and 100 metre breaststroke finals and also silver in the 200 metres. And of course, she subsequently went on to win gold in the 100 metre breaststroke at the Worlds in August. But like that medal haul in June kickstarted a reign of terror for Mona McSherry. She's smashing everyone's national records. She's just She's just had such an incredible year. I'm fascinated by swimmers. Anyone that'll get up at half four in the morning, like five, six, seven days a week and get into the pool. I just think they're amazing human beings. And she started swimming because she fell into a pool in, when she was a kid and her parents were really worried. So they sent her off swimming training. And um, for years, like she was just like any old club member. She never really stood out. And then all of a sudden, it, it really all started to come together for her. And she made an awful lot of progress in a very short space of time. She clearly had something, you know, she had that dedication. She says she doesn't have to be up until five, but she gets up at half four. You know, and, and like those little mm. things, like that little bit of an edge that she'll get up to do the extra bit of stretch, like to have that little bit of extra time. And she's at a whole new level now, though. Like she's over the last few months. Um, In the summer, uh, she was sitting in a room ready to go racing against like Lily King, um, Efimova, I can never say that's, the names. That's that's the caliber that yeah. she that she's racing yeah. about. Literally, Ruta Malute, you know. Yeah. The 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 girl that won the the gold in, in the Olympics. FMOVA and King yeah, are like, like we saw them in Rio. Nearly yeah. came to blows in the pool, but um. That is where she is. Like she's sitting there going out racing with the top swimmers in the world, and and it's such an isolating sport. I run. I don't play team sports. Um and. 
you know, unless you plan going on a run with somebody, you aren't going to see anybody. So, but your her head is in the water yeah. for the entire training sessions. And she's real focused. She's like counting everybody else's strokes. She's so focused. Her coach, she wants her to be able to enjoy her sport. And like, that's really important, I think. Well, she's still in school. Like she manages her time there, you know, in, in, in training. You know, she's she's in the pool 12 hours a week. She's in the gym five hours a week on top of of studying for school and you know it's it's really paying off what i really love about uh the year after an olympic games so the very early stage of an olympic cycle is that you know in the build-up in the year of the olympics the media attention is zeroed in on our on team ireland and then the year after the olympics the the media lens kind of widens a bit and you see the the people who are our future olympians Mm -hmm. and our future elite athletes another kind of i suppose potential junior uh future olympian is gina apka moses who in july won the gold at the european under 20 athletics championships in italy in the 100 meter now she was the first irish athlete to win that since colin costello in 2005 i was doing a bit of research on gina and uh sinead kassan actually fair game alumni has this beautiful article on Gina where she talks about her history um, and how she came into the sport and when she was about eight she was representing Louth in uh, an event in Mosney community games if you will in Mosney and uh, she wasn't allowed to run on spikes so she took it off she took off her her shoes and ran barefoot and she won gold and she similarly enough to actually to Sarah Tracy she trains out of um, the UK where she's located now I think with her family um, and I'd love to know how that's going for her, actually Gina if you're listening or Santa I've been very good she's around the last few weeks because she's been winning so many awards that mm. she's been over and back well if she wants to come on the, the podcast please what I found uh, gas about her was that you, I was looking up you know old results and old races and you're reading like athletics reports from five six years ago and it's like she's won all the events that she's entered she won the 80 metres the shot but the long jump the high jump I'd say all the other kids used to be raging when they'd see her coming because they wouldn't get a, a look in and anything but um, she's obviously got talent and from looking her up she seems to be quite mature as well like you know she's she's done the whole thing where she struggled with the nerves and where she didn't perform in a, in a big event um, like was knocked out in the heats and she worked on that she went to a sports psychologist she sorted that out she knows what she needs to do she's learned to deal with whatever negative thoughts she has through this sports psychologist so she has the awareness to put the preparation into the areas that maybe might not come as easy to her because clearly she's a gifted athlete but become the winner that hopefully she will be and that she already is you know you need to have other things as well part of as well as the athletic ability and and she seems to be working on them so that just shows a a really good maturity but I I read that Sinead Kazan piece and, and John Shields the the coach I know him quite well and he said she's special and you do get that vibe off her like just she just seems like there's just something about her she does have a bit of an x factor she she? does yeah you better be keeping on to to gina she really is a a a bright star for the future and definitely one to watch we'll we'll look forward to seeing more from gina it's great i know we never have never have my favorite (laughs) i love the sprints i used to watch them as a kid with my dad so i'm just delighted that we have some sprinters coming through because sprints are just so exciting you can't i don't think you can beat sprints when it comes to major tournaments so at the end of the summer moving on to august we had we've mentioned it already we had the women's rugby world cup which ireland hosted um oh god where do we start okay let's start with the good things 
let's start with the good good things in terms of in terms of women's rugby world cup history it was the most attended most viewed most engaged women's rugby world cup to date in terms of online activity about, in terms of online activity and it was also the most tweeted about sporting event in ireland this year i loved the atmosphere mm-hmm. um it was a festival kind of an atmosphere yeah, about it really it. was but just on all those figures would you give them all up for it to have gone differently for Ireland. Like if nobody watched it, like, well, not nobody, but you know, if there weren't mm. record-breaking numbers, but I Ireland reached the semi-final. No, I wouldn't because women's sports teams have had similar struggles to what's currently going on with the women's rugby team for a long time. The fact that there was such vested interest in it means that people are annoyed with how they're being treated. People were tuned in to the event and as a result are now invested in the background of the team and the story of the team and in particular how the IRFU have treated them since the event. I think I would because I don't think there's a legacy there now because of the performances. But the final was spectacular. The, yeah, the, the was final great, was yeah. one of the best rugby matches I have ever seen. It was absolutely spectacular mm-hmm. and to see people like Sarah Hunter and Emily Scarrett and Portia Woodman like doing what they do best on the big on the biggest stage of the sport and it'd be so electrifying to watch. Like that game could have really gone either way. It was played on a knife edge. It's important for people to see that, to see the standard that our team are, are expected mm-hmm. to compete against. Our, our team beat New Zealand only three years ago. I just hated all the negativity. Like mm. it was just such a big opportunity. And like, as I said earlier, all they had to do was perform in three games. And I think the discord in camp bit, was yeah. very... Um, it was almost tangible. Like you knew that there was unhappiness in that camp. Um, and then as Ireland progressed and and we through the tournament, um, and that became kind of exposed. Yeah. Um, and how the lack of unity in that camp and the lack of kind of you know the the tensions which were seeping between the team, not just between the team and management, which was I suppose the, the case with the FAI. Um, that really I think soured things an awful lot and soured the memory of what was what is a phenomenal tournament. And actually, I'm trying to think about it kind of ob- objectively now because if I look back on it, it was actually deadly couple of events and like you know going to matches and seeing teams that in play in real life that I would probably never get the opportunity to see again walk around and they'd be you know sitting down beside you as well which was really cool and the hospitality and it was just it was it really was a festival atmosphere the logistics were really good (laughs) as you say (laughs) um but knowing how unhappy the girls were in camp and just just how much harder they were having to work mm-hmm. um, because of the politics of the management yeah. of it uh, was really it's, it has soured I think a memory like there you know when you think that we had a a, a rugby world cup in Dublin and they didn't make any heroes like there's no hero coming out of it you know the way you, you, you like there's nobody that there's no big lasting image of you know none of them really got I suppose positive exposure like there was no big moment even if like you know they died with their boots on and you know like they did so many times before and you know you'd have Fiona Coughlin or like you know Jenny Murphy could have been the big hero there could have been somebody that these little kids want to be when they grow up but it just became so negative that I just feel it was such a missed opportunity that um I just feel bad that it just didn't get it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. I just wanted it to be this amazing thing where 
it would create a legacy and it would get people wanting to play the game and wanting to be interested and wanting to go watch Leinster Munster and wanting to go to watch AL games and wanting their kids to play it because there is like a major lack of numbers and they do need to grow it at the grassroots level but you know after that instead of wanting to bring your kids down would you bother? Like would you say right I'm going to bring them to the Gaelic football pitch instead because it was just it could have been great and I and looking back on it I can't help but fixate on the mixed opportunity and the fact that it wasn't great and it could have been and it wasn't because we're not good enough as well like if we weren't good enough I'd say grand look we weren't good enough we finished where we should have finished but that's not reality like yeah the word potential uh, has been used a lot around it and and that's that I I like looking back on on the World Cup. Um, I it actually I actually get like quite emotional thinking about it because I was and so sad. I get sad mm, thinking about it. Yeah. It was such a it was such a it was such a roller coaster. And having followed the team for for so mm-hmm. long, you just you knew something wasn't right. And I was working on it for thirty days straight, which didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> and seeing every possible angle of it, um, in it it, it, it was. Yeah, it, it was a hard watch as an yeah. Irish fan and it was hard to see, particularly at the end of of the of the the Wales game mm. in the seventh, eighth place playoff. Um yeah. you know, the the players that we knew were, were retiring, that that was how they bowed it out. It wasn't fair. Who have give, who have just given us so many great days mm-hmm. in, in their in their green jerseys. So um yeah, it's a lot has happened since then as well. Like this, the Women's World Cup was in August. I'm sure, the last day of it, we had that explosive Ruth O'Reilly article with with yeah. with Gavin Comiskey, which in itself was an event of the year. Yeah. Um, what did you think when you read that, Marie? I I know that she got a lot of criticism for coming out when she did, but if she didn't come out when she did, nobody would have cared. So, um, from an editorial point of view, was it the right time? to do it Absolutely. or could it or could it have waited to the no, next day she did it at the right time and I think if Gavin probably would have encouraged her to do it at that time as well because it just had more of an effect and editors know that like you know like that was a scoop like Gavin got a great scoop like fair play to him and like he deserved to get it because he's like been brilliant from a coverage and, and following and promotion point of view um, like even if he'd went to his editor and said you know, this is happening, I might get it for this week, I might get it for next week. The editor, his editor would have said, you know, get it for this week because this is the perfect time to do it. This is when people are interested. Like, the news cycles move so quickly that, like, I remember looking at the paper around the seventh, uh, the sixth, seventh place playoff, seventh, eighth place playoff, mm-hmm. and it was like four paragraphs on four pages in. Like, people had switched off at that stage. Um uh, the interest wasn't there, but when we still had something to play for, and we, you know, we still had a game to play, that's when editors are going to give you space. I it think al- it also meant that it was talked about on television yeah. that day as well yeah. with um, Fiona Steed and Lincoln yeah. Twelve. So yeah. there was that as I, well. I think as well, I think the the argument against that is that the girls still had one game to play, um, and they were waking up into a negative dressing room with that was what was being talked mm-hmm. about that was what was getting the attention in the dressing room was negative enough and we know I think we know kind of subsequently um, just how negative that was yeah. and I, I think the, the retirement was announced in the dressing room before the girls went out on the field uh, which is I don't even know how to but describe if, that if, he ha- if they hadn't done it then there probably wouldn't have been an opportunity to ask Tom Tierney about it either so like there was that to, to take into account because um 
you know, we, we talk about people, I suppose, not being held accountable or, you know, not being asked the hard questions. And he was going to face questions because of that. And I'm sure they were aware of that. And that if someone hadn't shone the light on it, it could have just been, you know, we were the we were the best prepared that we could be line. Well, no, you weren't. You can't trot out that line again because clearly somebody within your camp has said that you're not the best prepared team that you think you are. Do you think it kind of stole them of the opportunity, the timing um, of, of publishing that, stole them of the opportunity to be as unified as the women's soccer team? I think it was already broken. It was okay. broken. Like, it was so broken that, um, if anything, it. I think in the long run, it's done them a service because at least people knew that there was reasons why they were performing so badly. Like, I mean, people thought they were just bad at rugby. Like, you know, you and I, or you guys and me and, and other people involved in media and involved in um, in sports, like, we know a lot more than the general public. And the perception was that they weren't any good at rugby. But because of Ruth, people realised, well, there's way more to this story. It's not that we're just bad at rugby. There's a serious lack of preparation here as well. And it made people angry. Yeah. Like the... That was that was I think the main thing I take from from Ruth's article. Like being a whistleblower isn't easy. That's why people don't do it that often. Yeah. So you know she I have huge respect for what she did. The timing I can kind of see both sides yeah. of it. I it would be hard if if your teammate released that on on the day of a match. But ultimately, I think I agree with you that editorially it, it and did I think make because sense. she took the risk personally, people realised that it wasn't just sour grapes. That, you know, if she'd done it a week later, it'd be like, oh, it's an excuse. But the fact that she did it before there was, you know, when there was still a game to play, you know, you could see that she took a personal risk and she took a personal hit for it and that she was willing to sacrifice herself, which she did because, I mean, like whistleblowers, they're, they're not viewed on very favor- favorably because she did it as well then people stood up and took notice a bit whereas the following week you might have went oh I'll read the oh yeah whatever they lost last week so they're they're bad at rugby like but because they were still going to play the next day when you were watching them then I think the reality of the situation was factoring into the perception of the team as well so that there was an explanation for the poor performances Yes, it certainly um, gave us loads to talk about I have to say like it was uh, like I don't know like is is people say that um, no, you know, ba- no publicity is bad publicity, or you know that that mm-hmm. saying that I'm trying to find out that I can't. Like, there has been so much negative publicity about women's sport, but now people know that there's a women's soccer team, and now people know that there's a women's rugby team, and I'm sure there was plenty of people out there that didn't know that these teams existed or that they were competing at this level as well. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be really interesting to see next year. I know we'll probably talk about it in in a couple of minutes when we talk about kind of the year ahead um, but there's another Six Nations that yeah. like we're facing into kind of now and what what kind of shape is the team in now there's there's still the, I don't think the story is fully done yet I still think the the actual impact of the legacy um, uh, and the potential like it, maybe we can still call this back I'm not without hope we'll talk about it in a minute yeah well the, in the Six Nations we are going to be facing the teams who finished second and third in the in the World Cup so yeah. that's going to be when you when you put it like that it's it's you know it's there's a lot of rebuilding to be done but again I would just absolutely call on people to you know show your solidarity by going to Donnybrook and mm-hmm. cheering them on it's it's they need support it's great it'll be on television as well yeah and um, so we leave August there that's the end of the summer into September 
my god we're only on September we've talked for ages <laughs> that's good though it means there's loads to talk about yeah we, we weren't lying so September <laughs> was uh, we're going to do a camogie and football wrap they are of course the, the, the two showpiece events for, for both sports the finals take place in September and yeah I guess we'll start with the camogie Cork v Kilkenny what you make of that one Marie? I enjoyed it because it was plenty of tension in it and plenty of drama and I love when there's loads of extra little stories going on and you know um, you don't know who's going to play you don't know what's going on with Gemma O'Connor you don't and I love when you don't know who's going to win and I didn't know who was going to win beforehand as well because sometimes you know you kind of have an idea that one team is better than the other or whatever but this time um, I just didn't know and um, it was played it was like on a knife edge the whole way through as well it was nice and tense and um plenty of drama I didn't really mind who won to be honest I didn't have um, I didn't have a, a big kind of graph for either of them like you know I would have been happy enough for either of them and I liked um, I liked the 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 Downey Murray kind of um, sideshow that was going on as well and you know the little uh, the little uh, jabs that they were exchanging kind of behind the scenes as well so I kind of I'd say I just enjoyed the whole because I, I think maybe I'm a I'm a journalist and I'm always looking for the 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 little the angles and that I liked I liked the whole narrative around it. Yeah, it was it was I thought it was a pretty terrible match. Like, but yeah. it's as, as often is the case with finals when you have the two best teams in the country going up. It's a it's more like a game of chess than yeah. a game of camogie. Like it was this was war happen, of yeah. attrition, and the whole Gemma O'Connor thing. What I just thought was absolutely phenomenal <laughs> what she did so she she did a knee ligament injury that she was told she'd have she'd need minimum six weeks to rehabilitate and we were told that she wasn't going to play oh like <laughs> there wasn't a hope of her making yeah. that final so she even took to before the match wasn't it even well she took leave she took leave from work for the three weeks preceding the final and just absolutely did the dog in the rehab like she just non-stop was trying to rehab this injury you know <laughs> The, the mind games between Anne Downey and Paddy Murray, like in up until his pre-match interview on the Sunday game live, Paddy Murray says Gemma's not playing. Yeah, and I remember being smirks in, though he smirks saying it, so he did he smirk. Did smirk yeah. And I just remember being in Croke Park on the day, and as I was walking out, and I saw, I saw her on the pitch in the kit warming up, and I was just like, oh my god, she's actually going to attempt to do this, absolutely phenomenal. And then for what happened in the end, yeah. for her to her to contribution, yeah. Her contribution throughout the match, but, you know, <laughs> the thing about a final like that where it's so nip and tuck, Gemma, Gemma took a risk going for that strike, you know, from the halfway line as the clock was about to turn red with her team one point down. Had she missed that, the entire narrative mm-hmm. around that yeah. match and her personal legacy would be, would be completely different. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you have the ball, you're one point down, the clock's yeah. about to go red. But instead, it's just this incredible wonder strike. Not only that, for them to then push on and another player, Julia White, who's been so unlucky with injuries, to come on and score the winner. And it was a phenomenal winner. You know, she came off the bench and it wasn't an easy one to put away. She beat through three challenges and just tucks it over the bar. It could have gone anywhere nearly like, yeah. Could have gone anywhere. It was such a good ending. It It was just... But like the Camogie Championship this year, I thought was really, really electrifying. There was great stories. Like the... The last day of the group stages oh, yeah. went down to the wire. Like it was, it was like adding up. Yeah. Managers not yeah. even knowing if, depending on you know matches going on concurrently, based on the results, they didn't know if, if they were through to the to, to the quarterfinals or not. It yeah. was, it was, um, 
it was bananas. Like I was working on the Sunday game on the day and I was down covering the Clare versus Galway match. And the Galway management, we were waiting to do the interview with them after the match and we didn't know if they were through because we were waiting. And they on, didn't know. They didn't know. <laughs> yeah. And then it came down to Limerick's goal difference elsewhere. Yeah. Like it was... Um, it they was, have it right with their... Um, the way they play it, don't they? They they have their system right. Like it does lend itself to excitement and the, the structure, the, the structure of it. Yeah, yeah. Like they they do. But the only thing is that I think the final was overshadowed then by the ladies' football final. I I think it was very quickly forgotten. You know, I I think that you know was it a week later? Then the dubs kind of took over, and two, was it two weeks later? Well, the, it was it would have been two weeks yeah. between them. Yeah. Like I I as soon as the dubs won. I think the camogie was forgotten a little bit um, because it was a new story. Um, I thought the narrative around the the football this year, now, hands up, another bandwagon that I love. (laughs) But this year, more than any, I've stayed on the bandwagon. Um, But I I thought once the narrative in the media wasn't Cork Dublin again, Cork Dublin again, I think the fresh perspective, um, I think the interest kind of started to build much earlier than it had in previous. So instead of it being kind of before the match and then after the match, um, the football match uh, and that's that impact on the Camogie match, it was constantly building and there was like snipe in the media. Do you know what it is? It's because the men's football final is on the week after. So you only get a day or two and then all of a sudden it's, you're just dominated by um, Mayo Dublin. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually what it was. It wasn't the ladies' football. It was the fact that they only got one or two days, whereas because the ladies' football final was the last game of the year, it got a lot more kind of um, longevity in the press. Well, Rena Buckley would have gotten a, a decent yeah. amount of coverage as well, but again, it did. It lasts for the week and then yeah, it's... Yeah, and then the, it's, you know, All-Ireland men's football final gets all the back pages and... Um, it just gets a little bit forgotten, I think, and um, I think it's a bit of a pity because, like, it was a great, it was a great season, and you know there was great stories in it. And well, like Dublin getting to their first semi final in yeah. in twenty seven yeah. years, like yeah. you know, you, you kind of have the big five in 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 Camogie, the traditional big four or five. Mm-hmm. But you know, Clare were pushing on this year as well. Dublin actually got got out of the group, which was um, which was very surprising. And they g- they gave Kilkenny yeah. a good run of it in the semi final. A lot of young players there, so. I would really encourage people to get into the Camogie Championship next year because it's the way it's structured. Actually, the the revamped hurling championship is yeah. pretty much a carbon copy. It's going to be like that, with the exception of a provincial trophy at the, at the end of it. It's mm-hmm. it's you know really competitive games with each round and then a, a knockout series that was I thought absolutely enthralling this mm. year. Yeah, and it's uh it's set up again. I suppose it is quite like the hurling, you know, you're, you're never sure who's going to win it. Like there isn't a dominant team like there. There's a few of them that are on the same level and give or take a tiny little bit. Sometimes it's just give or take a player. Like, you know, one player can make the, the difference um, and you don't know who's going to win. And, and that's what I love about it as well. And, you know, the games as well, like they're just so tight and um, just nothing in it. And that's what you want. That's what you want in sport as well. Mm. But um, And spe- speaking of the, the football throughout the season was there was just it just served up such brilliant games and like going right back to say the league final between Cork and Donegal who a lot of people around that time would have said were the two would-be contenders for the All-Ireland final um, which turned out to be to be wrong but that game in Parnell Park like Donegal I'd say watching that back were absolutely kicking themselves that they didn't do Cork that day because they had every opportunity and only for Orla Finn had one of the best individual performances you'll ever see on a football pitch. She was on fire that day. 
Cork snuck it by a point and uh, Donegal had to had to go off and lick their wounds and that kind of really close contest kind of then continued in into championship season. Um, you know, we had one of the games of the year for me was was Mayo beating Cork in the semi final. I I don't think it got enough coverage. I don't think mm-hmm. it got enough attention at the time. I think what's the significance of it, the like, significance yeah. of it, and that's what's lacking in coverage mm-hmm. of women's sport. You know, the context of that, the the rivalry that Cork and Mayo have, go from from the two thousands. Like you know, yes, Cork have dominated the championship, but people won it before them as well. Yeah. And even if you hear, you know, one of the the stars of that kind of the, the golden era of that Cork team, someone like say Juliet Murphy, she attributes, you know. Cork's the big turning point for Cork losing a league final to Mayo in 2004 they went on to win their first all Ireland in 2005 and, and the that was that and that was that <laughs> and you know I think that the the significance of Mayo mm. beating Cork that day um, even Mayo's journey like the significance of that mm. like I kept expecting them to lose as they were going along you know especially after they got hammered in, in Connacht and they just didn't you know they kept going and they stepped up and um and there was that un- uncertainty on the day as well. You weren't entirely yeah. sure who actually was going to win this. Yeah, you know, it Mayo could have pulled it out of the bag. Like, really could have pulled it out of the bag. And it was, I mean, the atmosphere there was electric. Yeah. How do you how do you guys think um, you can kind of we can kind of change that? Is there any way of doing that that you guys see of maybe, you know, the the breadth of coverage is growing, but the depth isn't there. Mm-hmm. So as you say, you're not getting the coverage at the you know at the league games at the kind of the lower tier the semi-final the quarter-final like how do you do that how do you how do you promote that a little bit better what are we doing even on that that one day maybe it is logistics um in Croke Park that we're not doing the rest of the year I think that I think if we watch the space now that ladies football are in because you know Camogie generally kind of follow the the ladies football in in many ways ladies football are further ahead like in terms of um sponsorship and, and participation in that but they have appointed a really interesting media manager Jackie Cahill who's been one of the top journalists in the country for the last 20 years he knows that game inside out but he knows the media inside out he knows television he knows radio he knows print he knows a really good story like Jackie always has amazing stories he has the ability to transform the media coverage of ladies football and I'm just, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do. Yeah, I, I really am. You. And I, I know it's just one person, but if you have one person with the right skills, the right tools, the right attitude and the right interest, and he has massive interest in ladies football, like he's capable of anything. And he just, um, he's so clued in and he's going to take, like he's going to really make this role his own, I think. And um, he's got the contacts as well. You know, he can... He knows the editors, he knows the journalists, he knows the stories. Like he'll be able to push um he'll be able to push the sport and I think it was a real strategic and wise appointment by the Ladies Football Association and and next year I think we might get slightly different coverage. Um I don't think it'll be coverage that just ticks the box anymore. I think we're gonna get some genuine stories. Um I know Emma Duffy does it very well mm. in the 42 where she unearths the really good stories, the ones that strike a chord, the ones that you remember. Um, you know, not just the general match previews that, to be honest, I'm never that interested in. Like, um, I don't think many people are. But I think Jackie has that ability to find the good stories, give them to the right people 
and um, hopefully he'll do that next year. But on the flip side of that, you know, we're also coming off the back of a championship that was absolutely sensational to watch and that, you know, new champions were crowned. And we haven't had a lot of new champions mm-hmm. in football <laughs> over the past 12 or 13 years. And um, for Dublin to win the All-Ireland, coming back from what's happened the last three years in itself was just such a good story. Um, and, you know, they've, they've again, been to hell and back as a squad yeah. and to see them to come out top this year. Um, and to do it with such style as well. Like, you know, just the performance, the goals, the class. It was just... Amazing it, to watch. It was tight. It was. A, it was. Th- I think the scoreline doesn't necessarily the reflect the game. Yeah, it was so match. tight until and they. Yeah, but I also think, like you know, there was it was one ten to ten mm-hmm. points at the fifty minute mark. Yeah. But I think in those last ten minutes, watching it, it just seemed like every demon that they have had yeah. as a squad Liberated. just came out. Yeah. In and, and they they just they just turned it off and yeah. it started they turned it off and turned it on at the same time like mm. they turned on the, the style as well yeah. the there was one point where Sinead Goldrick got a turnover in her own corner and that was the starting point mm. for Sarah McCaffrey the yeah. resu- resulting Sarah McCaffrey's yeah. goal and um, I just thought the way they, they saw it out in style was, yeah. was, was phenomenal yeah same I, I really enjoyed it actually because you could just um, you could you could you could relate to them and you could see what they were feeling and, you know, even if you're not a Dublin supporter, like, you couldn't help but admire the achievement. Um, you know, when you just strip it back to just a simple, basic achievement, like having lost three finals in a row and then just to go out and succeed, like, because it's so hard to win. Like, and, and I think the documentary really that they did really showed how hard it is to win and how hard they had to work and um, I just felt delighted for them and Noel Healy joined us uh, a couple of weeks ago two episodes back I think um, in the Fair Game Hot Seat and it was the week I think after the Blue Sisters was, was released and hearing her insights and how she has worked like the personal stories yeah. um of those sports are so important yeah. because they hook you in you know and um yeah i'm really excited like to see i when i watch sport like i go to a lot of club games right because i love watching people that i know i just can't help it i love like i'd much prefer to go and see you play elaine than go see you know 15 people that i didn't know and even if it was a really good match i just love watching people that i know and you know Sometimes I feel like I know people that I don't know. And if I could get to know more of the players and see more of them and see more of their stories, like that's what makes me watch sport. Like just I feel like it's the connection to the players and the team. And um, like sometimes it's not it's not the great game. It's it's the people. And I think we did get to see some of those Dublin stories Um maybe more so than we've got to see of other teams, you know, women's sports teams over the years. Like, okay, I know people didn't go and watch the, the women's soccer team, but, you know, we did get to see them. We did get to see, it mightn't have been for the right reasons, we did get to see some of the Irish women team, women's team and, we, you know, we did get to see some of those the dubs. So, okay, this year might have been negative in, in certain areas, but if that can be turned into a positive next year, then... You know, who knows what could happen? I think mm-hmm. the um, I think the importance of those personal stories and kind of that connection. You feel like you know somebody. Yeah, I'm not sure there's anyone who does it in terms of a female, a current female athlete uh, who competes at an elite level better than Katie Taylor. Yeah, and she is our. Uh, 
October moment uh, when she won the WBA lightweight world champion title in Cardiff against I can't pronounce that and Nahi Sanchez there you go <laughs> it's a lot of names I can't pronounce yeah. as well <laughs> um, so Elaine I know you were up glued to that I was it was um Oh God, I'm just such a basket case when it comes to talking about women's sports. Like I literally mentioned a Katie Taylor winning a world title and I'm about to start crying again. <laughs> I'm about to go, <laughs> I have the same jacket as her. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, Katie Taylor won her her, w, her first professional um, boxing title, the WBA lightweight belt in back in October um, on a very special night in Cardiff on the undercard of the Anthony Joshua fight which you know in boxing terms is it, it doesn't really get much better than that and it was it was only her seventh professional bout like and, and, and she's already a world champion and I think like say this time last year on the review of the year 2016 we spent an awful lot of time talking about Katie and um you know, how she'd bounced back from the disappointment in Rio mm-hmm. and had her first professional bout only 103 days after Rio in November 2016. That's when she had her first pro fight. And now a year later, she's a world champion. And she's defended her title. And she's mm-hmm. defended it as well. Now, the the the, the title defence was, you know, it wasn't as straightforward as, as maybe some people were thought it was going to be. Jessica McCaskill gave her a really... Really good Which I think is better that. because I think it's better because people love saying, Asher, ah, sure, she's not fighting anyone of any use. But then she goes and beats people that give her a tough fight. And I think people stand up and take a bit more notice about what she's achieving as well because there is, again, a perception that she's out on her own and that, you know, she doesn't have any competition and that she doesn't have to work that hard. But then you see her and, you know, it is a, a tough fight. And um, I think it's better for people who are getting interested in the sport or getting interested in Katie Taylor to see her having to work hard and to see her come through tough challenges and um, people love that when it comes to boxing it's like, a you know, great narrative yeah and I, but I also really like that it's kind of making her and maybe it's a natural thing maybe she's just kind of maturing as a, an athlete anyway but her game is slightly different mm-hmm. and you could see in that McCaskill fight where she was kind of uh, you know she was smack talking McCaskill legend yeah I wouldn't say a word against Katie <laughs> well she said herself afterwards she said I won't yeah. repeat what I said to her like but I guess that's a professional game and they talk about how um, you know she has to transition and her transition isn't complete yet and she has to adapt and you know that's just part of it and you know we often hear about people having one persona in the ring and another persona afterwards out of it like maybe that'll be Katie when she um, you know she keeps continuing in, in the professional game that she, that will become you know she'll will have that personality in the ring because she's definitely been tested and she's been challenged but that's that's what I, I want to see. But what the I, other hugely significant thing about that title defence was she was the headline yeah. act yeah. On, on, on the bill. Mm-hmm. I know it was mid, mid-week and it wasn't kind of the same scale as other professional box, boxing events, but there was a load of lads punching it out and yeah. then <laughs> two women as the headline yeah. act. That's incredible. I loved that. I loved turning on the telly because in fairness now, I didn't switch on until a good 20 minutes before she was due to fight, but that was it. Yeah. I wasn't, I didn't, I, I had no rashers and I didn't care who was on before. Yeah. Um, and then I switched on and I was waiting for all these lads to finish scrapping before she got on and I could see Katie fight and I loved that because it was so rare yeah um and I just I loved the imagery around it as well because in the advertisements for the fight it was her and McCaskill mm-hmm. squaring up and there was literally a line of lads behind yeah. her and it was just it's so often been the opposite and it was uh, yeah I just loved that I, I like I have to say that I, I interviewed um Eddie Hearn recently 
about her and he's just captivated by her. And in fairness to him, he's putting his money where his mouth is and he's getting behind her. And he's um, like, he said that that she sent him a DM and was like, you know, would you be interested in maybe meeting up to, to chat about my future? And he was like, oh, not really. Like, you know, but sure, look, I'll meet you and we'll see what happens. And then he said he was just blown away by her because she, her attitude, her dedication, her drive, like it was the characteristics. Like he hadn't, you know, seen her fight with the intention of making her, putting her in his stable. It was just purely that meeting with her that um, captivated him and said, you know, I need her. Like he didn't want her at the start. And then, you know, he wanted her then and he has promoted her and like it was him and Sky that have got behind her and given her that opportunity and put her in that position. And, you know, he talks about Anthony Joshua and Katie Taylor in the same sentence. Mm. You know, there he's two fighters that he really likes what they stand for, you know, their beliefs, you know, their strength, their character and their work ethic and their ability as well. And um, like, I, I, I do think like he has to get a lot of credit for for someone of, you know, he didn't need to he didn't need to 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 get behind her but he has like and it's I think it's working out as a good partnership between them and she also has the potential to go on and you know win more belts yeah. and unify the division like yeah. it's it's the sky's kind of the limit for, for Katie yeah. in, in this and I, I think it was really good like you said for for the title defence to have been so competitive because I think people tune into a bit yeah. a, bit, a bit more it's like yeah. okay you're not going to watch Katie yeah. Taylor just sail to victory like or anyone or anyone, anyone yeah, yeah. She's going to be challenged and hopefully now next spring we'll have a big homecoming event to to look forward to because that'll be some crack. In Can the, you imagine how good that would be? It'd be so good, especially yeah. like her 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 song for walking out <laughs> of the ring, James Brown, This is a Man's World. I think though the her, the impact that she had on the amateur game, right? So you see how she kind of opened up that, and you know we've we've had Kelly Harrington on talking about kind of the media attention that she got. Um, so when Katie, what was that game? The the European Champs, the World Championships last World, year, yeah. World Championships um, and yeah the, I suppose the kind of the trickle down effect almost of the Katie effect mm-hmm. um, and the potential now for what she can do for for this division and th- this kind of sport but what do you think the impact because I found watching that match or watching the fight that um, they were just kind of building up and then it was a then it was what what are they two minutes two yeah. minute rounds two minute rounds yeah. not three minute rounds so they're kind of cut off as they're finding their feet and I found that I found that kind of frustrating to watch. Well, like everything like that, like you know, Katie was she's a trailblazer. So you know, she brought women's boxing to the Olympics. She has the ability to change something. Like if it's, I don't know how she feels about it. I don't know. Like I'm not a boxer. I don't know what 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 way she would want it. But I believe if she wants to change it, if she wants to make it different, that she has the ability to do that because she has that much power and because she is the one she's the face you know she's the one she's the trailblazer and she has the ability as well like if she wants to do something she'll do it so like I know it did feel a bit you know we wanted more we wanted more but I like because I've never been there I I don't know what it's like you know I, I, I couldn't say oh she she can box for longer. I don't know. Yeah, I've heard her. I've heard her speak before about how she would like. Yeah, the three minute rounds, and I and I, I would. She would. Katie is so, so humble that she wouldn't say this. Yeah. But I would guess that it is to do with her. She is so well conditioned. Like yeah. she is in such good shape. 
a lifetime of it. That if it was to go into a third minute, I think she'd really start to get the upper hand. Yeah. It's, like, it's like just as she's kind of just as she's kind of really getting into gear, it's like the bell goes and it's like the opponent gets a break. Yeah. And then they're yeah. back out again. It's hard to kind of build up that momentum, but she's just so supremely conditioned. Like if you watch her training videos with, she disappears over to the, the, the forest in Connecticut with Ross M&A yeah, and she just like, her conditioning sessions look so intense and and it's it's great the way her promoters have kind of, you know, they share footage mm-hmm. like that because I yeah. would happily watch Katie Taylor yeah. hitting a tyre with a sledgehammer. Like, yeah. To give you insight into like what she's doing. hitting the tennis ball. Yeah, yeah boxing like the tennis ball. Boxing the tennis yeah. ball. Glued to that. Watch that on repeat. <laughs> but yeah, definitely. You need to get out more. <laughs> it's going to be a, a, another big year ahead for Katie and um, great to see her succeed this year and, and get that first title and excited to see what she can kick on and do now next year. And speaking of some more women who we are very excited to see what they're going to do next year. It's the Irish women's soccer team. We're back to them, thankfully now, on a happier note in November. One night in November, we're in a World Cup qualifier with no one probably thinking they no. could actually get a result out of that game. And they came home with a clean sheet and a point in the back pocket against the European champions, the, the Netherlands. I'm actually a little bit embarrassed because I didn't give them a chance at all. Like, And then even as the match was going on, I was like, ah, here, they're not going to hang on here. Like, Something's going to happen here. They're going to concede a goal. They're going to give away a penalty. Well, they did, but yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't awarded. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they were just like it was heroic because um, they, you know, that the character that they showed back in April, like they've carried that through with them. Like they're so united and so they play for each other. They're such a really good team. You know, they've been through so much together and I think that that night just signified so much more than getting a point from the European champions. I kind of had an inkling that we were in for something special and the night before they released the video online to Megan Campbell who so unfortunately has done her cruciate ligament. It's just so unfair. Um, But, you know, they released a video from from their training session Mm -hmm. and said put it online to Megan. And there just seemed like a really palpable positive mood yeah. it's like okay they were going into that match without Campbell as I said also without Stephanie Roach and without yeah. Onyo Gorman so they were you know quite depleted and they were relying on some really young players oh God, like yeah. I'm preparing Amber. at 16 yeah. and she's just there not like the first couple of phases of play not a bother yeah. on her just charging at this yeah. incredible defensive outfit that are the Netherlands and as soon when you saw that you're like oh God they're they're up for yeah. this and a baying mob of 12,000 fans in that yeah. stadium in the, in the Netherlands you know just willing them to that they would eventually be broken down it was it was phenomenal yeah. to watch and they did and they weren't, you know, they, they just, they stuck at it. And, but Colin Bell has coached them very well as, as well. And, and, and they they speak so positively about him and just what he, what he's brought. And, you know, defensive football does work for Irish teams. And, um, you know, maybe we will see them play like that, but they do, they do, they are able to get up front as well. Now, obviously it was going to be hard against, against the Netherlands. And, and when you are missing a lot of, of your um, upfront players, but I I think that the next few months are going to be the next few games are going to be really. I think we're going to really see what they're made of because they've set a standard now, and like sometimes things might be a fluke or you know you might get a a surprise result, but I don't think it is with this team. I think there's just there's more substance there. There's well, substance with that team. They definitely had the rub of the green that day. Like yeah. you know, there was a, there was two go, there lucky, was two yeah. goal line clearances. <laughs> yeah. There was a hit in the post. There was a penalty decision that really 
probably should have gone the other way but didn't but on the flip side of that you make your own look (laughs) we had 90 minutes of watching you know Neil Fahey absolutely bossing the world player of the year Lika Martins who plays for Barcelona around the place and it it was just I just it was just so incredible to watch yeah definitely one of my highlights of the year yeah I really enjoyed it actually yeah and even if I was only watching it on my iPad you know it was uh it's, I, I didn't feel like I missed out just watching it on, on Facebook. Like it just, you could sense the atmosphere. Um, you know, you could get behind them and hopefully people will because they deserve it. You know, and, and it was like, I didn't realise there was so few people at the, that Slovakia game. Um, And it's disappointing, but because they're so united, they're just getting on with it. You know, they're they're controlling what they can control and that's their performance. And they're delivering that performance as well for Colin Bell. And, you know, it was hard for him when he came in too because he came in off the back of that. But they're all responding well. And they've been affected by it in such a positive way um, that I hope, actually, I'm going to stick that as one of one of my hopes for, for 2018 that, you know, we see the Ireland women's team qualify for a, World Cup. I think that as well, though they that unity, that sense of unity, has kind of stuck with them. Even um, they've they've kind of withstood the loss of Emma Byrne, who yeah. retired this year, um, and that kind of hasn't shaken them. Yeah. And when you think Katie McCabe's only twenty one and she's captain, and look at the leadership that she has. But again, I think it's because they've came through so much. A couple of other retirements this year for our December roundup. Um, obviously, the uh, a couple of. Titans of rugby, uh, Ruth O'Reilly, Ayla Sheegan, Mazzy Riley, Nora Stapleton. Huge losses to 15s. We'll be sad to not watch them play. Huge, huge losses, but like just gave so much. So many great days in, in green jerseys. Like it was, um, you know. Achieved so much as well. Achieved so much, yeah. yeah. Both of them have, or all of them have two two yeah. uh, Six Nations medals in their back pocket. In their back pocket not yeah. able for Mazzy Riley's last game. No, just actually can't cope with the level of emotion. Uh, sports feelings mm. are peak. Also, sports feelings, Aileen Reid, uh, Ireland's highest ranking ever triathlete, uh, retired. And if you are looking for some sports feelings, get on and Google waving the white flag, which is her au revoir to the sport. Um, the line that particularly sticks out for me, and I, I'm not sure I can read it without choking up, is I was good once. And I remind myself not to give up. Um, so just just so I can say them out loud, her she's 75 caps for Ireland, the highest ranking, most successful career of any Irish triathlete, uh, featured in Rio and London and one of the Commonwealth Games. And she was ranked inside the top 10 of the ITU World Series for three years running. That is no big deal. That is like that is no mean feat. Sorry. And she made so many sacrifices, like giving up her life, moving across the world. Yeah. You know, moving to America, Australia, like plagued wherever, with injuries wherever well. she had to go, whatever she had to do, whatever length, like there was never, it was never too much. Yeah. The ask was never too great. Speaking of Mona McSherry as well, sorry, it was Mona McSherry. Yeah, like the, I mean, that kind of level of intense dedication Aileen Reid had it and she didn't have it in just one sport. She had it, she yeah. probably still has it in three. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, great loss. A couple of great uh, combat sport athletes uh, decided to hang up their, well, they don't wear boots. Hang up their combat <laughs> gear. <laughs> Call it a day. <laughs> 17. Um, Ashton Daly in mixed mar- martial arts. And just last week, Lisa Carney, who has uh, represented Ireland Olympic Games in judo. So all the best to them as well. Like, as you can probably tell, if you've made it this far in the podcast, you could tell it's 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 been a busy, busy year. There are some other um, some other huge achievements that, that we just kind of want to run through as well so that people are aware and we'll be hoping to delve more into these stories next year. Um 
you know, in racing, trainer Jessica Harrington completed the triple crown of Cheltenham's great races, sizing John winning the Gold Cup to add to her previous successes in the Champion Hurdle and the Champion Chase. Then she went on and won the Irish Grand National for the, for the first time with our Duke. And she was just last week named as the Irish Times Sportswoman of the Year. So an incredible 2017 for, for Jessica Harrington. And in badminton, Chloe McGee was the first Irish woman to win a European Championship medal in badminton in the mixed doubles in Denmark in April. And then Cavan's own Leona Maguire won the Mark H. McCormick medal for the third year running, awarded to the top amateur golfer in the world. That was in May. And who can forget in August, another epic event in August was the Irish under-18s basketball team who, to use an old cliche, captured the heart of the nation. My God, that was such an emotional roller coaster of a journey. They won silver at the European Championships here in Dublin in August. And, you know, again, on our review their year last year, we talked about the senior team claiming European silver and it being a sport on the rise. And to see this kind of talent coming through, um, it's very, very, very exciting to see where what the future holds for them. Absolutely. And their cycling as well, uh, let's not forget. Um, Katie George and Levy and Eve McChrystal gold in the WB Tandem time trial, the UCI, which is the Paracycling Road World Championship They're in so South consistent. Africa in September. Like fire in the We're mate. talking about them every year. They're every incredible. Year. <laughs> yeah. They're just too... They never take any time off. <laughs> two incredible athletes and just yeah. such a such a good team yeah. as well. Like it's, I'd say it's quite hard. I'd I'd almost rather do a solo sport or work with like a, te- a panel of 30 rather yeah. than work in a team with, in tandem, literally, with someone else. But um, yeah, they had another another phenomenal year and another woman who had a, a, an incredible year as well was Jenny Egan um, in canoeing. She had her most successful season to date. She won five, five major international medals. Um, it was just like just such a good year and to see her kind of emerge in this like I remember um, RT News doing doing a piece on her and she uh, before any of these were won and, and she was kind of talking about she just had a really good aura around her that you know she was kind of reaching a, a pivotal stage in her career where she was going to go and, and make some big achievements and she, and she has and um, yeah just congratulations to Jenny on such a such a brilliant year um, rounding it off with with um, at, the, at the World Cup in October Well listen speaking of rounding it off we're about an hour and a half into this um, it turns out there's no shortage of things to talk about uh, when it comes to uh, our sportswomen so we're going to have a quick fire round finish up um, starting with your sporting moment of the year Marie I loved the full-time whistle in the All-Ireland football final when um, Tineda Her and Noel Healy they went over to the Mayo players and gave them hugs and you know just consoled them like their focus wasn't on their own joy it was on how the other people around them were feeling and you know in the world that we live in now where you know it's, it's different to when we were kids and you know you do need role models and you know, you don't want role models that are putting filters on on Instagram all the time. You know, you need role models like these people who are humans and, you know, they're living through real emotions and they are behaving in a way that you just have to give them amazing credit for because they took the time. Now, there was loads of them. Just I'm just picking out two that, that stick in my head, but they didn't get carried away in the moment and the joy they stopped and they checked themselves and they went to see how the opposition were feeling. And I loved seeing that. I love seeing them taking the time to go and do that because, you know, they, they're after losing three finals. Like I would have jumped up into the stand to find my mother, you know, but they, they just took mm. the time. And I just that for me, I just 
that's the memory that's the moment that's the the picture that I have in my head after that Ireland final was just seeing the girls going around because they knew that you know Mayo had put their their hearts and souls into it and if anybody deserved to jump into the stand it was the Dublin girls but now I know everybody does it but I just found that the way they did it they took so much time to do it I, I, I just really enjoyed watching that and especially because you know we do need role models and they behaved in the most perfect way yeah um, my sporting moment of the year comes from the Camogie final a fortnight earlier um, we've already talked about it Gemma O'Connor's wonder strike from the halfway line um, you know we talked about the narrative of, of, of how she ended up playing in the match but I just to, to have that moxie to with as the <laughs> clock is ticking red to just back yourself from yeah. the halfway line to slot it over to level it up and I just think you know Gemma's an absolute legend and that just puts her so high up in my estimation. I just here rem- I was in Croke Park. I was actually kind of sitting on the halfway near the halfway line. I saw her get the ball and I was like she's not. <laughs> and then she did. So it's like slow motion. Yeah, it was it was it was phenomenal and and like not being, you know, I was a neutral that day. It was core I've no affiliation with Cork or Kilkenny. Um but I jumped up out of my seat and celebrated it because I just I just admired her doing it so much. I love those moments that get you off your seat that just that just suck you in and there's nothing else going on in the world except what that person is doing and um, they're just the best. Mm -hmm. They're the best. I think my sporting moment in comparison to those two is a little bit more tempered but uh, you just used the word moxie and I love that word. I'm such a girl (laughs) for that word Um, and I really think that does describe Sarah Keane. She became the uh, Olympic Council of Ireland chair in February of this year Um, and two things really stand out. One is that she inherited an organisation that with the bad smell attached to it um so like i mean so absurdly pat hickey was accused of running a cartel for you know just the level of absurdity um and she came out with a blistering defense of her organization with in an interview with off the ball and she um i just think she has some really really great plans for it i can't wait to see what she does with it i think she she is an athlete. She has the interest of athletes at, at, at heart. Um, and when she took up her position, her only statement was, quote, I'm here to serve. And I, I just really, I have heard her speak most recently at, a, at an event run um, by Sport for Business. And I just think if someone's going to do deadly things for uh, women in sport, Irish women in sport next year, it's going to be it's going to be her at, at that at that really super high level. And now the two most important women in in the Olymp- or the two most important people in the Olympic movement in Ireland now are women with Sarah O'Shea in there as well. So I think it'll be a, it'll be a very productive 2018. We're not here to take part. We're here to take over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked a lot about media coverage as well. So in terms of a media moment of the year, Marie, again, that one moment that kind of stands out to you from 2017. The um, Irish national women's football team their press conference was one but just kind of thinking about it now um, Ruth O'Reilly's interview I suppose I can nearly say it got me off my seat you know I was really interested in it and I was just it's 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 so rare that you pick up the phone and ring people have you seen this have you seen this have you seen this like often things kind of filter through on social media or whatever but I really um, 
was taken aback by that. I wasn't expecting it. I was surprised. And, you know, that's rare now. It's one of those things where you read it and you immediately reread it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then started texting your friends on WhatsApp and said, oh, my gosh. We've talked about it a lot, but the Irish National Women's Football uh, team, their press conference was my media moment of the year. Elaine? Mine was something, um, an article back in May, um, that Emma Duffy did for the 42.ie and it was with the Kildare captain, Erica Burke. And Erica decided for, the, I suppose, the anniversary of the of the marriage equality referendum that she was going to essentially share her coming out story. And it was just done in the most, just the most beautiful manner like it's 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 if you read the piece it had such an effect on me I think it would have an effect on anyone who's read it but certainly for anyone who's ever you know used sport as almost a mask for or a means to conceal your sexuality when you're when you when you when you haven't come out yet which I I did do it's it just resonated with me so much it struck such a chord and the article has actually since been put into the 42.e's book um, behind the lines, which is kind of a collection of their long form writings, um, and Emma's Emma's piece with Erica has has made it into the book. And the day I, I I got the book in the post, and straight away I checked to see was it in it. I had a feeling it would be, and I read it again. It's kind of been re edited and expanded upon. It's an incredible piece of writing. It's an incredible piece of herself that Erica shares. And I would just implore anyone who feels that they could relate to that it it would be a big help to anyone who might be struggling with their sexuality and I would just really encourage you to read it. I loved that piece as well in the 42.ie very kindly sent us copies of um, of that book. It should be in everybody's Christmas stocking. And Emma did a brilliant job. She's she, a superb writer and yeah. she handled that story with such respect and such care and um, she was the perfect person she to do really it was, I thought. Yeah. But like, like we said earlier like people get sound bites. Emma Duffy gets the life yeah, story. Yeah she does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she's really good and um I, I think the more female journalists there are out there, the more stories like that that we're going to get to hear because, I, as I said, I'm I'm more interested in people that I know and, you know, female sports journalists tend to know more female sports players as well. So um, I think you just get better output and there's more interest from female sports journalists in, in women's sport, I think. I think as well, the, the you're just saying the, the kind of the role of personalities in promoting a sport and, and making people more interested in a sport. Um, I am not sure that anything has done that more for a sport in general than the Blue Sisters has done for uh, ladies football. Um, and that makes Dublin ladies football my team of the year. Yeah. Um, I am an admitted bandwagoner. I've said it about four times since podcast, but I really have, uh, I suppose, followed their journey a little bit more this year than I would have in previous years. And by the time I got to the final and the Blue Sisters and Noel Healy, I have such a grow for the Sky Blue jersey and uh, can't wait to see what they do next year. They're absolutely my team of the year. What about you, Marie? Who's your Same. team of the year? And um, even more so, um, since I met some of them recently, they came to St. Jude's, my club, and um, we did a Q&A with them, four of them, and there was, I can't remember how many young girls there, but there was lots of them anyway. And the Dublin players just spent ages talking to them. And actually the way that they dealt with the questions, a lot of the questions came from the kids themselves and um, they just showed uh, 
great maturity in how they answered them. Like, you know, they knew they were talking to young girls and they knew that they were going to affect them. And they knew that whatever they said that they were going to take away with them. And they just, I know I spoke about role models earlier, but they were just brilliant because they gave so much time. You know, they didn't, I'm not talking about 10 minutes. Like I'm talking about, you know, an hour and a half afterwards. Like they were so accessible and they definitely made an impact. And, you know, you spoke about the connection. Um, they connected with all those girls in the club and and I, I would say because of them coming, giving their time for nothing, um, those girls, the ones that were thinking about maybe giving up, you know, the statistics that we talk about, about girls dropping out of sport, not the amount of them that we're going to, mm. they're not going to anymore because, because of the impact this Dublin ladies football team will have. Yeah, I am, for my team of the year, I'm actually like shockingly not going to pick Dublin as my selection because um well, I think anyone who's ever spoken to me will know how much their All-Ireland victory uh, meant to me as a, as a Dublin supporter. But I'm actually going to go for the Irish women's hockey team. Um, we mentioned it right at the top of the podcast. They, they've achieved World Cup qualification, the first women's hockey team in Ireland to do so since 2002. And um, knowing, the, knowing a lot of people on the team and the journey that they've been on and the significance of it and what it's going to do for Irish hockey with them competing in a World Cup next year, um, they absolutely have to have to be my team of the year, and I, I'm really excited uh, with what they're going to do next Me year. Me too. <laughs> and uh, honourable mention also for the Tipperary women's football team, who had an Im- unbeaten season on their way to the the intermediate um, All Ireland final. Just an an incredible year for them too. Okay, so second to last, but arguably the most important category: Sportswoman of the Year, Marie. Yeah, I I put in two, um, Rena Buckley because. Like again, you know, we talked about the lack of coverage that the All-Ireland final kind of got afterwards. Now, Rena did get some, but when you think about what she achieved, like 18 All-Irelands, like... We all take Rena Buckley for granted. <laughs> exactly. I don't think people realise how hard it is to achieve that and to all the All-Stars and the sacrifices and the commitment. And like, she's been living the elite athlete life for most of her life, like... And not only has she been living it, but she's been consistently performing, consistently achieving in two different sports. And it's like, oh, yeah, she wins another All-Ireland grand. One of the most telling things I've ever seen about um, about Rena Buckley was uh, the TG Carr documentary Club Naman last year, where they kind of followed Rena um, with her club and with, with County, with Cork. And so she she runs her own physio practice down in, in McCroom. And a couple of days a week, she takes an extended lunch break and she goes down to the hurling alley in her club and she literally just hits a ball against the wall for two hours. So if you want to know what it takes... Yeah, and I and I know someone that coached her when she was younger. Like, she wasn't the most talented. You know, it's not like she's getting there on raw raw talent that she was the best player in the whole county in both codes. She had to work Yeah, it's to get there. It's absolute hard graft and dedication yeah. to do what she has done. Like, I, I just can't say enough good things about her. Between, she's an incredible footballer, but Camogie this year, the way she, yeah. you know... The way, the way she drove that team on. No. My sportswoman of the year, my nod for that is Kier McGeehan. I think she was probably my nod last year as well. Um, but yeah, I have an awful girl for Kira. <laughs> and this year, one of my standout memories, uh, actually, I think probably of sport overall, is her interview after she dropped out of the 1500 metre in the European Championships in Belgrade. And anyone who watched that will probably remember that about two laps to go. And she kind of limps off to the side. She wasn't having a great race. Um, and then she uh, begins his interview and 
just such a raw interview mm-hmm. and she just kind of implodes on herself and she said the quote is um, something's hurting and I don't know why it's hurting and all I can say is I'm sorry for that display it's not me out there and when we interviewed last when we interviewed her last year uh, she just had this incredible belief in herself and I I have an absolute belief in her and um, probably as a consequence to that but uh, but she also works incredibly hard she has had the most amazing story a comeback story um, and she's so young and to see her injured again um, what what it also really reminded me of was that we pay so much attention to um, athletes in an Olympic year and then for the time in between unless they are on a podium we don't really give them a nod but they're uh, they're juggling all of these commitments um, and it takes a huge toll on their bodies and um, even when they are not performing um, in a way that they would like to be and not podium, not making a podium. Um, I just think we have so much talent to be proud of and Kira really kind of exemplifies that for me. Yeah, my sportswoman of the year um, is a Dublin player, the Dublin captain, Sinead Ahern. Um, Sinead, for me, just epitomises everything that is good about Gaelic football. And I kind of can't say... I can't say enough good things about her as a person and as a player and as a leader. I just think she is phenomenal. I was so happy to see her and her team get over the line this year and to see her up on the steps of the Hogan's Dan lifting that trophy. Um, she's just such a good full forward. She's the absolute master in the full forward line. And that, you know, in that in the final this year, she didn't miss a free. And it's that kind of consistency from a leader that can drive teams on. And I now I, I know she did miss the penalty, but I would question whether she should have been taking the penalty after getting yeah. such a knock to the head on, on, on her way to the ground. But, you know, her performance in, in that final, um, I just thought was exceptional. And, uh, yeah, Sinead Ahern, Sportswoman of the Year for me. Good nod. Good nod indeed. OK, so we're on to Hope for 2018. Yep, my my big hope for 2018 is um, very, very excited for the boxing in 2018. Um, Kelly Harrington, who we had on the podcast a couple of ep- episodes ago, is going to be competing in the European Championships in May and in the World Championships in November, all going well. Um, having seen her win the World Silver last year and having seen her, having spoken to her on the podcast and seeing the, the, the hunger that she has mm. for her sport and f- to, to achieve big in her sport... Um, and the fact that she's now r- fighting at at lightweight, um, I'm just very, very excited to see how that pans out for her in 2018. So, yeah, Kelly Harrington, my big hope for 2018. I can't I actually can't wait to see those fights as well. I think they're going to be great. Um, I really hope the governing body let us know when they're on. Um, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Uh, Marie, yourself? Yeah, I, I, I think probably from listening to me over the last while, I... I I was so disappointed with how the, the Women's Rugby World Cup panned out from a legacy point of view, but also because I felt so sorry for the players because I knew what they'd put in and I just felt they deserved so much better um, from their association. And I hope for 2018 that when the Six Nations rolls around that we see them happy, united, rejuvenated, um, most importantly, enjoying their sport because they deserve that they're representing their country they're the ones making the sacrifices they're the ones putting in the effort and they deserve to be in a setup where they can thrive and 
represent their country in the best way that they possibly can because that's all they want. I yeah, I think that's I think that's a very fair summation. We really enjoy watching them when they're happy and when they're playing um to their best. Um my hope for twenty eighteen, um we've talked about it here already today, is for some real research to be done into women in sport in Ireland. Um I think between bodies like the OCI, uh, I know the National Women's Council have a bit of an interest in it, um and the weight of really serious sponsors like Little Liberty. Um I think surely we can make this happen. We've spoken about the importance of facts in showcasing what we all know to be true, which is that women in sport uh, and, and Irish female athletes are really performing and that it is growing. Um, and I think in order to kind of lobby for more resources and to really make our point, we need the facts to, to back that up. So I hope 2018 can can really produce them. It's it's not a it's not a sexy hope for next year, but it's going to be, you know, it's the hope that kills you. Emily's big hope administration. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny, but it's true. Yeah. Well, that's about wraps us up for uh, for 2017. Um, I think general consensus is a lot of good things done, but a hell of a lot more to do. And we're looking forward to to, to covering those journeys for athletes and teams out there. Um, big, big thanks to Marie for taking the time out to take stock of the year that was for our sportswomen with us. You can keep up with Marie's great work by following her on Twitter at Marie Crow, all one word there. Make sure you're following us on Twitter too, at Fair Game Cast for constant updates on everything happening in women's sport. And likewise, if you're out running or walking, you're hitting the gym over the Christmas, you're going to work out those turkeys or those mince pies um, and you need a soundtrack check out our archive for some motivational listening all of our episodes today are available on iTunes Android Stitcher and Spotify that's it for this episode and from us for this year thank you for listening and for all your support over the past 12 months both online and off and here's to a great 2018 for Irish sportswomen happy Christmas and we'll talk to you in the new year This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Every bunny loves honey glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Wine is made in virtually every country in the world, and I'm ready to give you a tour to find the right one. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine & More. Cheers!